Psalms. So if you would join me, open your Bibles to the 105th Psalm, Psalm 105. That will be our main text this morning as we continue our Advent series. I love this season because it's a time to focus on remembering the covenant faithfulness of God, which is something that is very important for us to do. In this Advent season, we're not only remembering and putting a very specific emphasis and focus on the first coming of Christ, but also the second coming of Christ and everything that that means for us as his people. One of the things that I pray and believe that I am believing the spirit of God to do through these series of messages is to inspire and renew and birth hope in our hearts. It's really, really important. It's no accident that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. What we say is, you know, first Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter at the end, he says there are these three pillars, faith, hope and love, faith, hope and love. Hope is a very crucial and important thing to the people of God. Without it, we find ourselves in despair. Without it, we're lost. Without it, we're just tossed about by the circumstances. Whatever comes our way, we're just surfing the wave or either drowning under the waves of the circumstances. And that is not the will of God for his people. Hope is a very important thing. Because hope is believing that what God has promised us is still there. Hope is believing that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of trial and suffering and uncertainty, that things will not always be this way. Hope is knowing that there is a God, he is a redeemer, and that he will make all things new. And it's not just knowing it, knowing it like cognitively, right? It's not just like, oh, I know that like two plus two equals four. Like that's that's a part of it. But it's knowing it in the depths of your soul so much so that even as we look forward to what God will do in the days to come, it shapes how we live in the here and now. And the Advent is a powerful thing and it's so powerful. And I'm afraid that, again, in Western culture and the way that we see things and particularly within an American mindset, like we don't get it, like we don't get hope. Because so, so many of us, the vast majority of us, really all of us, like we, we have a hard time understanding what it means to really be in a like in an American context, man, like we don't understand what it's like. So many people don't get what it's like to be trapped in a way or to be subdued, like, for instance, by like another country. Like we don't get that in America. Like we don't understand that concept. 
because we've never been conquered. We don't understand what it's like as a nation to long and to yearn collectively to be set free from the yoke of oppression. Don't get that. I never forget, man, traveling to other nations. Like I've been to nations coming out of civil war where people fought and bled and died in the streets. I've been to nations where we were the ones actually doing the fighting. I've looked at people as we roll through these communities, man. I never forget going through the Suez Canal in Egypt. And it was so tense because when we were going through the Suez Canal in Egypt, the world community and all of those things, there was all of this uncertainty and, and pushback and uh, about what we were about to do in, in Iraq. And as we were going through the Suez Canal, it was a couple of things about that day that, that really just stuck with me. Number one was as we're rolling through there, this very narrow waterway on high alert, like looking at Egyptian soldiers and tanks with weapons and all of those things. And we're on the deck of the ship with weapons and all of this stuff. You could look in the eyes of these people. I'll never forget that. You could just look and you could see them. It wasn't like a movie. It's not like a play. You're just looking at these people. And also never forget just watching like everyday people just live their lives as this foreign nation just kind of rolls through with all of this weaponry and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, we have no idea what that's like. We have no idea what that's like. And the reason why I mention that is because the advent is not some nebulous, abstract concept of deliverance and freedom. The advent is real. It is about real deliverance. It is about real freedom. It is about real, absolute liberation. And so as we read these texts, we got to remember that. Psalm 105 is a text that would be read publicly... At certain big gatherings of Jewish people. And it's a psalm that would recount the redemptive history of the descendants of Abraham. They would recount and remember the righteous deeds and acts of God throughout their redemptive history. And how he met them in very real moments on very real occasions to bring freedom and to display his covenant faithfulness. It's an important thing that we remember that the covenant faithfulness of God, but that it not be again. The covenant faithfulness of God is not a fairy tale. It's real. There is real freedom. Wouldn't it be depressing to sing about there being a place of freedom and not actually believing that there was a place of freedom? Let's go to this text. Psalm 105, starting at verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Proclaim his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell about his wondrous works. Honor his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Verse 5. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and the judgments he has pronounced. 
You offspring of Abraham, his servant, Jacob's descendants, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he ordained for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham swore to Isaac and confirmed to Jacob as a decree and to Israel as a permanent covenant. I will give the land of Canaan to you as your inherited portion. When they were few in number, very few indeed, and resident aliens in Canaan, wandering from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their behalf. Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. He called down famine against the land and destroyed the entire food supply. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in an iron collar. Until the time his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent for him and released him. The ruler of peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all his possessions, binding his officials at will and instructing his elders. Then Israel went to Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them more numerous than their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people and to deal deceptively with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and it became dark for they did not for did they not defy his commands? He turned their water into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land was overrun with frogs even in the royal chambers. He spoke and insects came, gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and lightning throughout their land. He struck their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number. They devoured all the vegetation in their land and consumed the produce of their land. He struck all the firstborn in their land, all their first progeny. Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold and no one among his tribes stumbled. Egypt was glad when they left, for the dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread a cloud as a covering and gave a fire to light up the night. They asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread from heaven. He opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert. For he remembered his holy promise to his servant, to Abraham, his servant, he brought his people out with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations and they inherited what other peoples had worked for. All this happened so that they might keep his statutes and obey his instructions. Hallelujah. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God of heaven and earth, we ask that through the preaching of your word, you would move mightily in the hearts of your people. Father, that you would strengthen us, that you would lead and guide us to repentance. Lord God, we thank you that through the preaching of your word and the mighty working of your spirit, you conform us to the image of Christ. 
Father God, may this morning, this time, this, this window of time that we have gathered together serve as another link in your glorious chain of redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, this was a psalm that was to be read to the people to remind them about the covenant faithfulness of God. One of the things that is so easy for us to do is to forget what God has done in the past. Super easy. It's way too easy for us to do it. We are prone to forgetfulness. And that is why we have to be intentional about remembering who God is and what he has done. It stirs faithfulness to the Lord in our hearts when we remember his covenant faithfulness. So it's no accident that the spirit of God inspired these songs to be read publicly to his people so that they would remember the covenant faithfulness of God. When it comes to the coming of Christ, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, where God became a human being, all God and all man at the same time in one being. We have to understand that this was not an accident. This was not some occurrence. This was not some plan B. This was the plan of God's redemption unfolding. It was the fulfillment of, of hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy and foreshadowing and types that when Mary, this young virgin girl, became pregnant by the supernatural moving of God's spirit, this was the covenant faithfulness of God on display. We read at the beginning of our time together, Genesis 17, where God is speaking to a 99-year-old Abraham. And he is promising him that from him, many nations would be blessed, that from him would come many nations, that he would be the father of many nations. Abraham probably didn't understand everything that that meant. But we know through the whole council of scripture that God was speaking to Abraham about the redeemed of the Lord, that one day through Abraham's lineage, he would have a descendant whose name would be Jesus. And that this Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, would bring about the redemption and the salvation of the people of God. But he would not only bring about the redemption and the salvation of the people of God, he would come to inaugurate the kingdom and the righteous rule of God in the earth to bring about the renewal of all things. That the rule, as we were just singing, you are my king, is not simply that God would preside over a people, over a redeemed people, but that God would rule over a redeemed creation. That the work of Christ does not pertain simply to humanity. The work of Christ pertains to all of creation, this world. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky for us. This world is a screwed up place. It was a screwed up place then. It's a screwed up place now. 
And in the midst of everything that is going on, just like these people, could you imagine being in captivity and hearing this song? Being people under Babylonian or Persian oppression and being reminded about the covenant faithfulness of God. And wondering, looking around at yourself and your family, just wondering, looking around at your fellow countrymen, your kinsmen, according to the flesh, wondering, when is he going to do it for us? When is he going to do it for us? When is God going to come through and do for us what he did for our ancestors in the past? When is God going to bring deliverance for us? When is God going to bring freedom for us? One of the things that makes hope so powerful is that it's one of those things where the chemistry of the heart overtakes the math of the mind. Because hope isn't rooted in our circumstances. These people are being encouraged to give thanks to the Lord, to to, to call on his name. The first five or, or, or five to seven verses of this psalm is a call to worship. It's a call to worship the Lord. Give thanks to him. Call on his name. Proclaim his deeds among the people. Open your mouth and talk about what God has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell about his wondrous works. I love verse five. Remember his wondrous works. It is no secret that we live in tumultuous days where now, more so than ever for this generation in particular, when we look forward, it is hard to see clearly about what the days hold for us. Chaos and division and hate and corruption abound. Lies, lies and more lies. And it's hard in the midst of this sometimes to have hope. Maybe you're just a whole lot stronger than I am. Maybe you're just way more spiritual than me, man, but I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I find it difficult to look forward to the future with hope and joy in my heart. And one of the most powerful remedies for that is to remember The wondrous works of the Lord. Sometimes, saints of God, we have to literally open our mouths and begin to thank God for who he is and what he has done. You got to say it. You have to actually open your mouth and speak out loud. Use our words from our souls. To give thanks to the Lord and to bless his holy name. And to encourage ourselves in the Lord by being reminded of his covenant faithfulness. See, that's what the Advent reminds us of. It reminds us that God is not a man that he should lie. It reminds us that not one of his words ever falls to the ground unfulfilled. It reminds us that we have been brought into covenant relationship with the God who does what he says. Watch this. Verse 7, it says, 
the Lord our God, Yahweh, our God. He is our God. This is rehearsing covenant relationship. He is our God and we are his people. And that means something. This psalm is about the covenant faithfulness of God. And as a people who have been brought into covenant relationship with God, He is our God. We are His people. That means something. That looks like something. That is to be expressed within this world redemptively and gloriously. His judgments govern the whole earth. I find myself staring at that last clause in this verse. And seeing and feeling like a paradox within my soul, the tension, the contradiction almost. Because when we look out at the landscape of this world, when we look at the landscape of our nation, when we look at the landscape of the nations. Sometimes it can be hard to believe that the judgments of God govern the whole earth. But that's reality. When you see the word judgment here, this speaks to the justice of God. This speaks to the fact that God is creator, that all are answer, that everyone answers to him and that the things that matters most are those things that are acceptable to him. That he's the one that calls those shots. What is acceptable to him and what is detestable and abhorrent to him. He blesses and receives that which is acceptable to him. And he brings about his just punishment and judgment on that which is abhorrent to him. He is creator. He is judge. And one of the things that should help us have hope in this world is that ultimately we have to remember that evil, injustice, corruption, lies, sickness, pain, war, famine. None of these things have the final word or say so. We have to remember that God is working. But if we just get caught looking at the circumstances, it's hard to feel that way, is it not? Like this last election cycle, it's hard to see that God is working through all this foolishness. It is. Like people are just acting completely foolish and there's so much division and just like fantasy and weirdness it's just like i mean it makes me personally i don't know about you but it's like living in the twilight zone like i'm just waiting for alfred hitchcock to come from behind the curtain and go gotcha this is just some scary thing i've been working on you know and yeah you know just something i cooked up i mean it's just absolutely nuts and the temptation for me if you feel this way is just to be to disengage i don't know about you but the greatest temptation is just to be just to be to disengage and find a place of safety and just to just get away from the craziness that's not god's will <laughs> we've not been called to run away we've been called to engage now watch this What we're about to get in this psalm is we're about to get a snapshot. We're about to get a view into God's ways and God's timing that I believe will help us in the here and now in this Advent season. Watch this. Verse eight says he remembers his covenant forever. The promise he ordained. You ever find yourself wondering, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? Like, do you actually see me, God? Do you see what's going on? <laughs> like, 
Like, I don't know if I could take one more thing breaking. I don't know if I could take one more catastrophe. I don't know if I could take one more crazy occurrence. Like, do you, hello, like we're here. Do you, do you see me? We read verse eight and we have to be reminded that he remembers his covenant promises that he does see. That he does hear his people. The promise he ordained for a thousand generations. And then it goes to speak of the the divine election of God. That God chose Abraham. He brings Abraham into covenant relationship with himself. And then he also reaffirmed the covenant with Isaac. And he reaffirmed the covenant with Jacob. The people were few in number. He didn't choose Israel. He didn't choose the descendants of Abraham. Because they were the greatest people on the face of the earth. God chose them out of his grace and his mercy. He did not choose them because their bloodline was superior and that their ethnicity was superior. He chose them because he's God and it was according to his purpose and his plan and his wisdom. And he protects these people. He provides for them. He blesses them. Why? Because ultimately the promised redeemer would come from Abraham's lineage. But watch this. And this is probably the farthest we'll go here. (laughs) It goes into how it was God who called famine against the land. You see that it's right here in the text. But this famine was not some haphazard occurrence. God called the famine. He destroyed the entire food supply. And look at verse 17. And he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. Here's where it gets really just kind of like, all right, So God causes a famine and and he sends a man. God raises up someone and he sends them. This is the person that he's going to use. This is a person that God has brought into covenant relationship with himself. This is a person that God has chosen. Right? This is someone that God has chosen for his purposes. This is someone that God has chosen to set his love upon. Let's look at his circumstances. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was a slave. They hurt his feet with shackles and his neck was put in an iron collar. Still into the life of Joseph here for a little bit. Here was someone who as a young man, young in his life, The Lord began to reveal himself to Joseph and he began to give Joseph dreams. Joseph didn't dream these things himself. God gave Joseph these dreams. And Joseph began to share these dreams as a teenager. But it would be years before Joseph would even begin to understand exactly what it was that the Lord was showing him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the excitement of vision being dropped in your spirit of God using you to do something great? 
God giving you dreams, God giving you vision. Do you imagine what as a young man, how he would just probably just lay awake going, wow, God, this is awesome. And he would get so excited about it that he would share it with his brothers and he shared it with his father. But his brothers ended up resenting him. They hated him. They hated him so much so that they wanted to kill him. And when they were talked out of killing him, they sold him into slavery. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Joseph was chosen by God. God brought Joseph into covenant relationship with himself. Joseph was the man that God would use to bring about provision and deliverance for his people. And yet the journey that Joseph had to take to get to that place was almost being murdered by his brothers and sold into slavery. Now imagine that. You're a teenager and you've just been sold by your siblings. You are with a strange people and you are in a strange land. You don't even know what's gonna happen to you. You are literally at this point, someone else's property. You have no control over your life and they can do with you what they will. Could you imagine that it may have just been a little bit hard to believe and hope in the promises of God? Do you imagine that maybe Joseph had some questions for God? Do you imagine that there have been nights that this young man probably cried himself to sleep, wondering what was going to happen with his father? Why did his brothers do that to him? Could you imagine I, I, if I was a gambling man? I'd put a year's salary on the fact that Joseph must have said multiple times, God, why is this happening to me? I am so confused right now. I'm so confused right now, God. You show me these dreams and I, I see these great things and, and, and now I'm a slave. I'm a slave. I'm thrown into a pit, my father... Who knows what he thinks happened to me? And God meets him there and shows him favor. And then he's wrongfully accused and convicted and thrown into prison. Another moment where it must have been so tempting for this man to be, I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't get it. I don't get it, God. Please help me understand. Verse 19. I remember the first time I heard this verse. It kind of rocked my world. It was years ago. Verse 19 says, Until the time his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. 
It was according to God's sovereign plan and wisdom. For this young man that he had chosen and brought into covenant relationship with himself, it was according to God's sovereign plan and wisdom that he would be sold into slavery. It was according to God's sovereign plan and wisdom that he would be falsely accused and thrown into prison. It was according to God's sovereign plan and purpose that he would be forgotten about for years in prison after somebody told him, hey, when I get out, I'm going to remember you. Then they conveniently forgot for a few years. Hope sustained Joseph. It's the hope of God. His neck in irons. Feeling the temptation to be lost and drowned in despair. He had to believe God, you're still going to come through for me. You're still going to come through for me. This hurts right now. This is incredibly difficult right now. But I believe that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. And God does. The dreamer had to become a slave. And the route to the fulfillment of the promises of God was a difficult one. Isn't it interesting that even in this psalm, after God raises up Joseph and the people begin to prosper in Egypt, the psalm actually says that God turned the hearts of those people to hate his people. Here's the thing we have to remember, saints. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And listen, his timing is not our timing. See, this is, this is, this is the reality. The fact of the matter is that hope sustains us in the most difficult of times. Hope is what sustains us to see through pain. It's what sustains us to see through uncertainty. It's what sustains us to see through all of the foolishness and corruption and, and, and all of the circumstances to see that ultimately God will do what he says he's going to do. That is what sustains us and keeps us One of the most sad conditions of human existence is an individual that believes that there's no hope for them. People right now are getting high because they believe that there is no hope for them. Right now, somebody is pouring themselves a drink on this Sunday morning to get drunk out of their minds today because they believe that there is no hope for them. Self-medicating. Doing whatever they can. Right now, there are literally people who are trapped in situations that are outside of their control. They believe that there's no hope for them. 
And one of the ways in which we are a light to this world as the people of God is that the gospel, among other things, is a message of hope. That there is a God and He fulfills all of His promises. See, messages like this, man, the thing about it is this is not like a rah-rah cheerleader kind of thing. This is us actually having to be honest about our own weaknesses, about our own frailty, and, 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 and about the madness that exists all around us in many different ways, along with the madness that exists within us. God used him. God met him. And I believe that one of the most important conclusions that the Lord wanted people to come through as this redemptive history was rehearsed was that the same God that did it for them is going to do it for you. He's going to do it for you. But the path to fulfillment, saints, it's not easy. It is difficult. And listen, I'm not talking about in some just kind of wallowing, self-pity kind of way. Look, it's just difficult. And we can't escape the difficulty. But let's direct our attention back here to this text to verse 19. There's something very important that I don't want us to miss. Until his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. In this verse, we get valuable insight as to what God was doing in the midst of all of Joseph's suffering. See, when we see this word testing in the scriptures, we have to be very careful that we don't get it misconstrued. This word testing It means to refine. God was doing something in Joseph that Joseph could have never done on his own. That the call, according to the economy of God, was for Joseph to be an extremely powerful man in an extremely powerful position. And so that he would not be a man who would abuse that power, so that he would be a leader who would lead with justice and integrity and righteousness. He had to walk through these things so God could forge within him righteous character. It was necessary That Joseph walked through these experiences so that he would learn the faithfulness of God and the promises of God. So that he would learn to be a man of integrity. So that once he reached that position, he would not use that position to further his own agenda. He wouldn't use that position to abuse people. He wouldn't use that position to fleece other people. But that he would use his position to be a benefit to others and to be a redemptive figure in the purposes of God. That's what God was doing. And the thing that I love about the way God works is that when it was all said and done, Joseph got it. Because 
as the Lord refined his character, there came a point in his life where he stood before the same brothers who had sold him into slavery. And he literally had the authority within that government and within that nation to decide whether or not the men who wanted to murder him and ended up selling him into slavery would live or die. He had the authority over his brothers as the second most powerful man in a world superpower in its day to say, kill these men and they would have been dead or imprison these men and they would have been imprisoned and his brothers knew it. And that's why they concocted a lie and a scheme to come to him after their father died. And he said, you don't need to do that. And what Joseph told the men who wanted to murder him and sold him into slavery, he said, listen, you don't understand. You meant that for evil, but God meant it for good. You thought you were working to destroy me, but God was actually building me. You thought you were getting rid of me, but God was putting me in position. You thought that you would just erase my memory from the face of the earth, but God was preparing to exalt me to this place so that the one that you wanted to murder and the one that you sold into slavery is the very one standing here being the reason that you are not dying for starvation. He got it. He got it. See, that's what hope does. Hope produces a holy defiance in our souls. Does, man. It's one of my favorite movies. It's actually called Defiance. It's about the Bielski brothers back in World War II who helped save over a thousand Jewish people in the forest. They were like modern day Moses running from Nazi Germany and even fighting. It's an act of defiance. Like we're not going to die here. We will live. And that's what hope does, saints. We look at the life of Joseph and we have to remember for ourselves, like, look, I don't get to determine. We don't get to determine God's timing. We don't get to determine God's timing and we don't know fully God's ways. But one of the things that hope does for us is that it produces a cry within our hearts and we echo even the very words of Scripture that say, I will live and not die. We will live and not die. And that's what the Advent teaches us because. In the midst of this now, guess what we're doing, saints? We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. You know, it's funny, man, that as a person who is like no stranger to the conflict or fighting, I find myself longing for the end of the fight. Like even in preparing to fight, even in training to fight, I find myself longing for the end of it. And not just even in terms of that. You ever find yourself longing for the end of it even within your own soul? 
as we have to battle our own sinfulness and weaknesses on a daily basis. Like I know it's very fashionable and it's the end thing to just call out everything that's going on out there. But what about the stuff that's going on in here? We're waiting for the fullness of our redemption. Christ has come. The kingdom has been inaugurated. And in this Advent season, as we look back to the God who has come, it encourages us to look forward to the God who is coming again. Jesus is coming back. And that gives us hope, saints. Because we not only await the fullness of the redemption of our bodies, the scriptures teach us that creation itself groans in travail, awaiting for the redemption or the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God in glory. That's what we wait for, and that's what this season teaches us. And so, before we pray, I just want to encourage you. It just may be, man, that you're in this season where you may not know it or not. But until the time of God's word comes true, the word of the Lord is going to test us. And I want to encourage you that we don't preside over the testing process. God is the one that presides over the testing process. The scriptures literally teach us that we are his workmanship, saints. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. You know what that means? That means that he knows what he's going to make when it comes down to us. And it's so sealed <laughs> that when we look at Romans 8, it literally teaches us from beginning to end God's got us. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, ultimately he glorified. Romans 8 is literally in the past tense. It is God who presides over this process. So in this season, I think it's really important for us to remember. Man, just take a deep breath. And just remember that he does govern the whole earth. That the judgments of God govern the whole earth and that what's happening to us is never greater than what God is doing in us you may feel like you're in the fight of your life right now and when it comes down to looking to the days ahead you may feel like you can't see an inch past your own nose but God's got you he's got us he has his people he has made many great and precious covenant promises to us and when it's all said and done according to his grace his mercy and his sovereign plan of redemption and salvation we will experience that in him amen let's pray Father, we thank you that as we read the scriptures, Lord, I just thank you for the grittiness, 
that you give to us in the scriptures in particular places. To where you give us insight into the difficulty and the pain and the trials of others. So that we would be encouraged in our own difficulty, trials and pain. Father, you are faithful and your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts, God. Your ways and your thoughts are so much higher than ours. And so God of heaven and earth where we cannot see and where we cannot comprehend fully, where we see in part and know in part, God of heaven and earth, that you would comfort and encourage our hearts. Father God, that you would birth hope in our souls. That we would look to you. Father, that we would not trust in our circumstances or in the words of men and the frailty of systems. But that we would trust in you and the reality of your glorious kingdom in which we are citizens. Father, you promised to conform us to the image of Christ. And Lord Jesus, you yourself in the flesh learned obedience through the things that you suffered. Oh God, we need your grace and we need your mercy. Have your way within us, O oh Lord. Cause us as your people to rise above that which is temporary. And help us to live in light of that which is eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good and his mercy does endure. Amen. His mercy really does endure. We'll finish up um, Psalm 105 next week. I knew I wasn't going to get through the whole thing. Um, But during this Advent season, you know, in the midst of crazy car commercials, you ever watch those car commercials, man, and people are getting brand new cars like in their drive. Like, who lives like that? I don't, I don't know anybody that lives like that. Anyway. But for us to be encouraged, amen? And to remember that this season is a time for us to focus and be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful.